Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Well, amen. And let me just uh, do something. I, I couldn't help but I was putting on my microphone. I looked around and I, I saw, Josh, I saw you back there with your, with your sweet family having a little picnic on the grounds, man. And I just want to tell you, you keep that up, brother, and uh, you're going to be all right. I'm, I'm, I, I champion the idea of fathers and mothers being the spiritual leaders for their children because when we leave them uh, to their own way of figuring it all out, uh, the, the chances of them figuring it all out well is limited to nil. And so as parents, we have an obligation to be the spiritual leaders for our children. And that means uh, what we're going to see today being fathers and mothers that uh, align ourselves with the principles of God's holy word. And so with that, I, I need to read a little bit to get us launched into today's message. Over the course of the next few weeks, I'm going to dive into something that should encourage your heart right where you are. Right where you are. No matter how old you are, whether male or female, no matter what your political or social persuasion is. And we're going to dive into a mini-series in John uh, that is designed by God to encourage our hearts. We're going to investigate biblical heaven. Uh, the, the enemy wants to rob the joy and the hope and the expectation and the encouragement that we all should have knowing that God has and is preparing a place for us called heaven. I said it before, I'll say it again. I believe God created all that we know in this physical realm and in the, in the galaxies that we are suspended in. I, I believe God created all of that in six literal 24-hour days. You can, you can differ from that view. You can argue with that view, but that's my position, and I can show you biblically why I believe that. Now, if God created all that we know in, in six literal days, then he's been in heaven. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's been there for 2,000 years building a place. And so I look at what he did in six days. I can't even fathom what he has done in 2,000 years. And I believe there's a day soon coming when we will experience heaven. For some of us, it'll be because he takes us home. For others, I believe that Jesus is going to come back and rapture the church and take us to this place that he's been preparing. So for a few weeks, we're going to dive into, man, the reality, the beauty, the amazing nature of this forever eternal home for those that are found in Christ called heaven. Tell your neighbor you need to be here for this message in your car. Tell them you need to be here. Now tell the person in the car with you, we need to bring a friend because we have people that need to be encouraged. Go ahead and tell the person with you that. I want you to be here for every week of it. We're going to look at what God says. He does not shy away from telling us about our forever home. He has given us a wealth of information. We just need to dive in and get it. Now, before we do, Jesus is going to reveal how he knows so much about our forever home. <clears throat> you see, the reason Jesus can even suggest heaven and the fact that he's going to prepare a place uh, called heaven is because of his relationship with God the Father. You see, God is three parts, uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, all equal, co-equal. And, and so Jesus is God, and yet he has God as a Father. Don't try to wrap your, mind, wrap your mind 
around that totally because it's a God thing and his ways and his thoughts are above our ways and our thoughts. And that's good to know that our God is bigger than what our fragile little minds can comprehend and understand. Isn't that true today? Blow your horn if you agree. <coughs> so today, I want to say again, Happy Father's Day. The title of the message is, is this, Best Father Ever. Best Father Ever. We're still in the Gospel according to John chapter 14. Now, we live in a world, I think you would agree, I think you know, that has simply lost its way and simply lost its mind. We live in a world that things have turned upside down and it did not happen overnight. The process began about 6,000 years ago in the garden of perfection and bliss when mankind, deceived by the great and father of all lies, chose to rebel against God's sovereign word. It's normal, it's natural, it's our human nature. The, the problem that exists is when Christians who have a new nature revert back into their fleshly nature and begin to live according to that old nature. But the truth is we live in a world of broken hearts and broken lives. Meanwhile, Jesus steps up to the plate. Jesus steps up to the pulpit. Jesus steps up into your life, into my life, and into this, uh, this life of chaos, and he has an encouraging word. So whether it's the COVID pandemic, whether it's racial unrest, whether it's the infanticide of defenseless unborn babies around the world, whether it is human trafficking or whatever personal passionate thing you choose to embrace, Jesus has a message for you. And that's good news. Because Jesus God wants you to hear from Him today about the world that you live in and about the heart that is inside of you. And we'll get into that in just a second. Now, Jesus is speaking today's word in John 14 about 2,000 years ago. But Jesus, being eternal, speaks words that transcend the clock and the calendar. Jesus' words from 2,000 years ago were just as powerful, just as true a millennia ago, and they will be eternally true because Jesus is true. If you embrace that and believe that, blow your horn or say amen. Now, 2,000 years ago, you can say, but this world is badly broken. <laughs> no more broken than the world 2,000 years ago that Jesus walked into. Jesus was speaking into a Roman-led world full of depravity, full of sinfulness, full of rebellion and religion away from the true and living God. And Jesus would speak to a small group of disciples about the world they lived in. And Jesus this morning will speak to a small group of disciples located right here at 904 Dry Gap Pike 
about the world that you live in. Now let's put it in context. Jesus is speaking on the heels of his last supper with his disciples. Those guys that he's invested in for the last three years. He, he's just had his last meal with them before his crucifixion. This conversation Jesus is having is on the eve of, of the betrayal of Judas. It's on the eve of the denial of Peter. It's while darkness is brewing in this very night, while evil is running its course, while men full of hate and deception of the great liar Satan himself conspire and conjure up a devious plan to eliminate and obliterate a new way revealed by Jesus, the Son of God. This is the context. This is the atmosphere that Jesus will speak these seven powerful words to them and these seven powerful words for you. Tell the person with you, this is for you. It was on the eve of the most heinous, the most brutal, the most torturous, the most unfair murder of an innocent man in all of human history without exception. It is on this night that this one man, Jesus, who would be the target of all of that evil, had a word to those who would follow. His word is designed to be an encouragement. But his encouraging word is built not as a suggestion or a recommendation, but a command. What are these words? John 14, verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That's his words. Seven powerful words in a time of darkness and despair and unrest and difficulty. Jesus said, hey, fellas, tomorrow everything changes. I'm going to be betrayed tonight. I'm going to be denied tomorrow. I'm going to be crucified on a brutal cross. I'm going to be taken to the whipping post. I'm going to have a crown of thorns pressed into my brow. I'm going to be nailed to a tree. But the word I have for you is, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So now listen. I want you to hear from your pastor. It's June 21st of 2020. And we live in a world that is in a mess. But I want you to know something. The words that Jesus spoke were in a far messier point in human history. In fact, the mess of today pales in comparison to the mess that Jesus is speaking into. I want you to know that the mess of, of 
today disappears in comparison to the mess that Jesus was speaking into. I, I want you to know that the mess of today finds no existence when placed alongside that moment 2,000 years ago when evil men led by Satan would plan the murder of God in the flesh. It's in this environment, in this darkness, that Jesus would say seven powerful words. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. So what is he saying? Well, let's dissect it a little bit so we'll know. When he talks about the heart, let not your heart. The Greek word is cardia. The cardia is considered the seat of feeling, the impulse, affection, and desire. It is the core of who you are. Jesus says, don't let your emotion, your affection, your feelings, or your impulse, don't let the core of who you are find itself troubled in this troubled world. He goes on and he says, it's not to be troubled. What does it mean to be troubled? The Greek word is terasso. It means to agitate, to trouble as you would trouble water, to trouble in the mind with fear and anxiety, to be terrified, to put in consternation and doubt and unsettledness, to be perplexed. And, and so I want to ask you a simple question, and I want you to give an honest answer. In the last few months, have you found your cardia, have you found the core of who you are troubled, worried, perplexed? Have you found that two people in this whole place have been troubled? We live in a world of lies. I'm going to ask a question again, looking for honesty. Who has found a moment in the last few months when your heart has been troubled? It's true. And if you deny that, you're living in a fool's world. We all find these moments when we are troubled. And Jesus said, right where you are, right where you live, right in the midst of your mess, don't let your heart be troubled. I want you to notice also, he says, do not let. You see, it's a command, a command that you play a part in. The part you play is whether or not you will be obedient to his command. You see, it's, it's, it's optional whether your heart is troubled. He gives us a rule, do not let this happen. The command is simple. He says, Jesus says, when the world around you is closing in, when the world around you is coming unglued, when the world around you may be screaming trouble everywhere, Jesus says, don't you do it. Don't you dive in to the world's view of the world. You have every reason and you have every authority in Jesus to rise above the brokenness of the world and to place your eyes and your affection and your heart 
on something, on someone greater. Now, Jesus, as Jesus does, doesn't stop with a command. Jesus doesn't stop with an encouraging word in a time of darkness. Jesus is now going to dive in into the how and the why we can obey the command he's given to not let our heart be troubled. It's Father's Day today and Jesus is now going to introduce us to the best father ever. Tell your neighbor, we're going to learn and meet the best father ever. Now in scripture, Jesus refers to God as Father 165 times. Over 10 of those are right here in these next few verses. Jesus is going to put on display how you can rise above. He was telling his disciples, he was telling his disciples not to let their heart be troubled. The disciples were not the one the ones that were going to be denied, betrayed, and crucified. You see, Jesus got something that he wants to impart in us. And that is to understand that we have a father who is the best father ever. Today, one of the greatest contributions to personal, moral, and cultural failures is fatherlessness in the home. Fathers are vitally important. I want to tell you again, dads, you matter. When you look at your children and you wonder, I don't know that it really matters. Sometimes when your wife may not be encouraging you, sometimes when the world wants to erase fatherhood, I want you to hear the pastor, you matter, fatherhood matters you make a difference in this world and Jesus points to that by pointing to his heavenly father to our heavenly father now in a world of fatherlessness and absentee fatherhood and 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 fathers who don't get fatherhood well the experience of our earthly father often transfers to how we accept and how we have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. If our relationship with our earthly father is broken or damaged, often it affects the way we, we receive God as our Heavenly Father. So, fathers, we need to look to God and we need to be a picture and an image of God to our children and those who look up to us. Now, let me address another group of people. Maybe you're here today and you never knew your dad, your earthly dad. Maybe you're here today and you knew him, but you kind of wish you didn't know him. Maybe you're here today and you knew him, but you wished he would have been someone else for you. Maybe you're here today and you had a wonderful earthly father. Maybe you're here today and you are a father, but you don't feel like you've been the father you coulda, shoulda been. Maybe you have a child that hasn't, that hasn't 
lived up to the expectations of you or God's Word. And you somehow feel at fault for that. You wonder if you could have done things differently. No matter which one of these you may be, I have a word for you from Jesus. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. You see, that truth, that encouraging command applies to us wherever we are, whoever we are, however we are. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And that is the word for you today. John 6, 71, we saw a few weeks ago, for fathers and for, for fathers, it could be worse. <laughs> Simeon, excuse me, Simon Iscariot was identified as the father of Judas Iscariot. So you think you might have a bad legacy. I mean, that one takes the cake to be the father of the betrayer of Jesus. And so it can always be worse. Let not your heart be troubled. Now, Jesus is going to introduce us to the best father ever, and he's going to help us know why and how we don't have to live as troubled followers of Jesus. Whether you're male or female, boy or girl, no matter what age, here's the reasons you don't have to be troubled anymore. The first thing about the best father ever is the best father ever has a plan for his children. The best father ever has a plan for his children. In verse 2, it says, In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how do we know the way? I want to develop this theology about the Father God and His relationship to mankind. I want you to know that God's will always was, and God's will always will be to have humanity in His presence. What does that look like? If you read the Genesis account, God created them, gave them instruction, gave them a job to do, and then He walked with them. He had intimate fellowship with them. His desire was to be with them. But now listen, in His sovereignty, in His all-knowing Godness, He designed mankind with a free will to choose not to accept His intimate relationship. You see, He wired in them the freedom to choose to accept or reject a close relationship with the Father. And in His sovereignty, He knew they would choose not to accept His relationship. 
He knew they would buy the lie of Mr. Crafty, Satan himself. Now, what would compel a God so good to allow something like that so bad to occur? Because God is about His glory. Not your glory. Not necessarily your good. He is about His glory. And had He created mankind as robots without the ability to choose, it would diminish His glory. The accusation would be, well, you can't get glory from that. They love you and obey you because that's the only thing they know. But in God's pursuit of His glory, He did something more beautiful than creating robots. He created people with the ability to choose only so they could be enslaved in the enemy territory of the sin curse. Only so He could come to this earth in the form of a man, delivered through a virgin birth. Emmanuel, God with us, so He could lay Himself down on a cross and bleed and die and purchase mankind out of their sinful condition because of their sinful choice and purchase them back and give them an opportunity to choose once again. Now, that is the plan that the best Father ever has for all of mankind. His goal, His desire, His hope, and His plan is to spend an intimate eternity with the pinnacle of His creation, which just happens to look like you. That's good stuff. Because when you look in the mirror, I see what you're looking at. And I don't know why that God would choose to love you like that. And when you look up on this platform, you see me. And I don't know why I will be eternally perplexed of why a God like that would choose to love someone so much like me. But He's the best Father ever. And Jesus says here, part of His plan for you is preparing a place for you. Isn't that good? His plan for you includes a place for you in His kingdom. Man, that's good. And I want you to know today, the reason Jesus can say, hey, I know your world is an absolute gong. I know your world is in pandemonium and chaos. I know it's saturated in lies and partial truths. But don't let your heart be troubled because I'm preparing a place for you where this doesn't even, doesn't even compare. You're just on a journey. You're on a journey. A journey to me. God says, I want you to journey and land in my presence. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, your translation may say, as pilgrims 
to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that He visits. L listen, there's people who are going to make accusations against you. Uh, we have people in our neighborhood who sometimes complain. Eh, they regularly complain. If it's not one thing, it's another. Most recently, they complain because of construction noises and traffic. They complain because we have outdoor services. At other times, they complain about other things. They make accusations that we're not caring. The world will accuse you, but we are to live our lives differently. We're to live our lives as pilgrims on a journey, only here passing through. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 tells us how we should live our life in expectation of a better world. Listen, listen to me. Heaven is real. Preachers for hundreds and hundreds of years have preached about hell and how bad it is. It's true. It's real. And it's bad. But often we've forgotten to preach about heaven and how good it is. I say this sometimes, if there were no heaven, I would still love my life as a Jesus follower because I do not get tangled in a lot of the messes that other people do. But I want you to hear what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 15, 19. He says, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Paul says, listen, for the believer, let not your heart be troubled. Listen, because as a believer, this is as bad as it can get for you. But for those outside of Jesus, for those lost in their sin condition, this world is as good as it will get for them. So the best father ever has a plan for the future. And so we are to look upward and forward and let not our heart be troubled. Number two, the best father ever has a plan for his, has a path for his children. A path for his children. He's got a plan. He's got a place. Now he's going to tell us there's a path to get from point A to point B. It says in John 14 verse 6, it says, Jesus said to him, huh. I am the way. In fact, I'm the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, you remember that I said a few minutes ago that Jesus is, excuse me, God's ultimate goal for humanity is to live in intimate relationship with Him forever. That's, that's why He created us. And then we get to choose whether or not we will align ourselves with that reality through Jesus or not. And Jesus, excuse me, God knew who He created. He, uh, he created Lucifer who became Satan. He knows how crafty he is. He knows how easily confused you and I are. So Jesus made it very simple. Jesus is God's 
way of restoration into an intimate relationship with our Creator. Now, I'll be honest with you. John 14, 6 is not the most popular verse in the world view. John 14, 6 is only popular if you have a biblical world view. Why? Because it's uncomfortable. It's unsettling. It's intolerant. It seems so non-inclusive. And yet Jesus, who is God, says, listen, the Father has a plan for you. The Father has a place for you. The Father has a path for you to get back to Him. And Jesus says, I am that way. I am that truth. I am that life. And nobody makes it to the Father except by me. In the Christian community often today, we don't want to share that reality because there's people that we want to embrace and we want to accept their views and give them reasonable, uh, a, a reasonable uh, audience to hear their views. And that's fine. But at the end of the day, when your journey is over, when my 